Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. I'm Father John Bender, and I'm here with Father John Pietropoli. And today, we were hoping to talk about a favorite of ours, which is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and probably broad, I could say broader, uh, Lord of the Rings genre, you know, all the, the, the buildup in The Hobbit and The Silmarillion and the letters and all that stuff. I, I know, Father John, you're, you're a big fan of Tolkien and, and these, you know, and, and this, these, this series, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's actually the first book that I could say I really just fell in love with. You know, some books just capture you. For me, this was the first one. Actually, my dad read it to us when we were kids. Really? Yeah. So that's cool. I think I was five. My sister was six <laughs> nice. and he read us the Hobbit and then he read the Lord of the Rings. Wow. And it took, I think two or three years. So I actually learned how to read in the intervening period. So wow. I was reading ahead and catching up, <laughs> but every night he would read to us. And then he did the same thing with my two younger brothers. And then the same thing with my youngest sister years later. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like a family affair. It was, yeah. <laughs> Although my mom doesn't like it, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, but my dad that's loves funny. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, obviously, uh, a lot of us have read the book, or the books, um, but it really became a hit in, you know, the early 2000s with the movies, right? And or, or and with, there had been movies before, or anime movies or cartoons, but this one was really, kind of just took it to another level. Um, it really brought it all to life. Everything that we had imagined in the, when reading the books, it kind of had now visual expression, you know, and it became, um, it's just an amazing, it is an amazing trilogy and, or uh, series. So, yeah, you know, a sign of that is the Return of the King won 11 Academy Awards. <laughs> wow. The only I didn't other know movie that. that's ever done that is Ben Hur. Really? Which is kind of, we can talk about that a little bit. It's kind of interesting, yeah. isn't it? Two. Two Christian narratives are the movies that have actually won the most Oscars. And it was nominated for 11, and it won 11. Wow. So obviously that speaks to Peter Jackson's genius in directing it, but also I think even more potently to the power of the story itself. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, um, you know, we didn't really have any overarching theme for this uh, podcast other than kind of just – Maybe just talking about all of our favorite parts, knowing that most likely th- this is such a rich trilogy and theme or, or story that w- down the road we'll have more podcasts um, kind of maybe more directed to certain themes in Lord of the Rings itself. But I was thinking just today we could just share, start off by sharing some of our favorite parts and, and what those mean and how those have kind of inspired or helped us. Yeah, maybe if this just came to me, so it's kind of random, but maybe if I could just zoom out for a minute. Yeah. Because uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot is how Jesus is the Logos. Mm. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity is the Logos. We have that word Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. And of course, as we know, that word is such a fascinating word in Greek. Because it means so many different things. Yeah. So it can mean word. In the beginning was the word. That's the way we often translate it. And that is a totally valid translation. In the beginning was the word. It also means truth. Mm-hmm. And it means communication, speech. Mm-hmm. It can also, and this is fascinating, it can also mean story oh, yeah. or narrative. So in the beginning wow. was the story or yeah. the narrative, which is so interesting. Because you think about, 
how Genesis 1 begins by God speaking. God speaks order into chaos. He speaks life into non-life, being into right. non-being. And so I really I think that's a, a really fascinating insight because these great stories that just catch our hearts and speak to us so deeply, they're part of this great story of God, the logos right. of God. You know, maybe that's the way we could look at at metaphysics, because you, know, you and I both study philosophy. Yeah. We know the importance yeah. of metaphysics, right? The, right? the study of being itself. Why is there something and not nothing? Or what's the, the foundation? What's the ground of all existence and all being? It's not a term that's very popular now, metaphysics. But in a certain sense, I think in today's world, at least in our Western culture, we use the word narrative in a similar way. Mm. It's kind of the the ground that gives meaning, right. the foundation that gives meaning, that ties different, apparently disparate elements or events together. And so these great stories like the Lord of the Rings, they're just part of this narrative of God, really. Yeah. And that's why they speak to us so deeply. We don't actually invent that. We just discover it. We discover right. this resonance with these stories. And there's a reason for that. It's because of the Logos, the great story of God himself into which we've been called and uh, in which we participate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, yes, totally. And and I think that um, that explains a lot of the power of Lord of the Rings. And, and you know, I guess before we even get into the some of our favorite parts, of the, it's interesting and I've always, I like this about Tolkien is, I mean, he was a professed, um, I don't want to say, um, hater, that's a strong word, but he did not like allegory hmm. as a as a written, um, at least for this. He did not like allegory because allegory, um, in his words, allegory was what the, it, it, the domination of the author. So you had to interpret things as what the author intended, right? And he was trying to write something that the, the reader could identify with and identify differently depending on the different situations. So for him, he said, the Lord of the Rings, and this is in the Lord of the Rings, the introduction to the Lord of the Rings. He said, for me, it's not an allegory. It's a, it's a history. It's a story. And that the power is in the story of the, um, of, of the, the book, the trilogy. And that's how, that's why people can identify is because more, I mean, you can identify in, in allegories, right? If it, if what the author is intending connects with you. But in a story, there's a history. There's backgrounds. There's developments. There's family lines. And things just, you're able to identify and see yourself more in different aspects of different characters, right? I mean, there's different aspects that you identify with so many of the different characters in different moments because it reflects more of your life, you know? Um, and, and he... And, I, and I'm, I'm quoting him. He said, I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied applicability to the thought and experience of readers. I think that may confuse applica applicability with allegory, but the one resides in the freedom of the reader and the other in the purpose domination of the author. So he really kind of wanted people to be able to resonate with the story. And and the power – and at the end, later on, he says, you know, you whenever you talk about 
um, a myth or anything like that, you have to use allegory, right? So in a certain way, there are aspects that are allegorical to his work, but he said the, um, it's, it's when you, when the out, when the story is so good and so true, then the allegory, it, it, you read the allegory as real, as a story, right? To, to your point. And I think that totally explains why Lord of the Rings is, has been such a dominant classic, classical series for, for generations and different generations over, you know, the past, what is it now? 70 years. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we could say there's something comparable with the great stories in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was talking to this uh, young guy not too long ago, and he's been going through the book of Genesis. We've been talking about Genesis. And it was interesting because uh, he really identified deeply with the story of Jacob. And he said, he said this is, seems so like real life, you know, the family <laughs> yeah. dynamics and yeah. the tensions that are there. And then the relationship between the brothers, Jacob and Esau. And then you have Isaac, whose favorite is Esau. And then you have uh, Rebecca, whose favorite is Jacob. And yeah. then Rebecca kind of connives with Jacob yeah. to steal the birthright. Right. And then obviously Esau, you know, doesn't like that. Then Jacob leaves. And then Jacob himself gets um, duped by Laban. Right. And so he kind of learns what it's like to be betrayed and right, then he right. repents and then comes back and meets Esau again. So it's just really interesting how those those stories in the Old Testament, although they do have different layers of meaning as we spoke about right. a couple podcasts ago, at the same time, there's, there's something so relatable to them yeah. in them. And I think that's the same thing that we find actually in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's what's uh, so? Let's just maybe we'll just dive in. What are some of those stories that, for you, in the Lord of the Rings? You know, there's the overarching story, the quest. But what are some of those? Maybe there's a, a favorite. You have a favorite story or a favorite storyline in Lord of the Rings. Well, one of the things that has always impressed me is the way that the story seems to have a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Because if you read the first chapter of the Fellowship of the Ring, a long expected party. The tone is, at the beginning in particular, is fairly similar to The Hobbit. It's a bit more lighthearted. Uh, you're not exactly sure where is this going. Yeah, yeah. There's, our, there's foreshadowing in it already, obviously, especially with Gandalf. But you're not exactly sure what turn is this story going to take. And then, of course, the shadow of the past and subsequent chapters, it takes a more serious turn. But yeah. I think that's so interesting, too, because it's almost as though Tolkien himself is responding to some inspiration he's not completely in control of the story we might say oh cool and so that's just an interesting interesting way to begin that i've always found fascinating yeah that could really just take off in any direction right, right? Exactly. And you're not really sure yeah where how yeah yeah that's cool i i'm for me there's so i mean there's so many i have so many favorite parts you know and it seems like you know it's one of those things where you have so many favorite parts do you you know that it's like the whole movie but um, I love moments where the characters could have quit, uh, where they, they're just overwhelming, overwhelming odds, obstacles, uh, death, uh, despair, discouragement. They don't see a way forward. And, and someone in the group decides to keep going and brings the others along. You know, and, and it starts 
a little bit at the beginning with the hot with the four, the four hobbits as they're leaving the Shire. There's different moments where Merry and Pippin are like, yeah, no, we're done. We're not going anywhere. Well, this is it. Let's go back. And and Frodo's like, no, we need to get to the we need to get to the tavern um in Oh in Bree, yeah. In Bree, yeah. Right. And um and meet Gandalf. And and then there's moments where Sam, you know, encourages and says, No, come on, stop messing around. We need to do this. And then later, I think, you know, the council and it's Elrond is just like, I'm not, you know, this <laughs> this has got to be done. But, we, you know, the time we're done, you know, I, we're we're and that um, that whole dynamic when there's moments, especially with Elrond, it, it, you know, when you try to get into the, the character and, and just experience what he's feeling and experiencing, you know, as a leader of the elves for thousands of years by this point, right? Or, or hundreds of years at least. Yeah, thousands. Um, yeah. And he's already fought Sauron with men. And, and you know, that line, he said, I was there the day the strength of men failed. You know, I was there. We, we, had, we had it. Like, we were done. This was going to be it. And we were going to, and it was going to uh, throw the ring into the fire, right? It's sealed door. And he didn't. You know, so you can imagine the sense of betrayal of of hopelessness that Elrond felt at that moment, having sacrificed men and women from his kingdom who are more immortal so that, you know, they, 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 they can outlast anybody. So if they just hide and fortify themselves, they'll outlast anybody. And here they are willing to fight for what is best uh, and, and die and lose their immortality and die. And so he lost men and women of his kingdom in that battle. And here he is faced again with the, with the same evil and, an, and a new call for a new alliance and obviously struggling with it. And he's, cause he said, I was there. I was there the day the strength of men failed. No. And so for me to see how he, he, he grapples with that. And then in the end commits to helping again. Right. And later in the movie, they forge the sword and, and he gives it to Aragorn, um, which is that whole story is another really amazing story. Just the whole sword. Um, of Isildur's heir and all that, right? But, but that's one of my favorite parts is is just seeing the the dynamic that happens in 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 those different decision moments. You know, another one is is with Sam and Frodo, and this is the second book when they're they're captured uh, by Faramir and and his and his men, and then uh, especially the drama in the movie is amazing, where um, the Nazgul are coming, they're attacking, uh, they're outside Minas Tirith in that front city. Um, Osgiliath, right? And 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 Frodo's about just like just to give the ring, just hand it over, you know, and Sam comes and tackles them and they fall down the stairs, right? And then Frodo's on top of them with the sword. And and then they fall off and and Frodo's like, we shouldn't even be here. You know, like what are we doing here? Like is it we shouldn't even be here. This is too big for us. And and Sam just has that monologue, which is so powerful. And you know, he talks about how the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the ending because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? 
And then he goes on to say, but now I figured it out. And he said, what really mattered was those folk in those stories had chances of turning back, only they didn't. You know, they didn't because they were fighting for something. And I think that um, that's such an amazing testimony and an inspiration for our lives. You know, because then Frodo says, well, what are we fighting for? You know, if, okay, if we're in this big story, what are we fighting for? Yeah, and actually I want to I want to pause on that for a minute because there's another line there um, in that same it's actually in that same period. In, in the book, it's a little bit later. It's in the path of Kirith Ongol when they're going yeah. up to where Shelob is. But what's interesting is Sam, as part of that kind of that monologue, he says, I wonder what kind of story we've fallen into, Mr. Yeah. Frodo. I wonder what kind of tale we've fallen into. It's such an important question, isn't it? Because that's kind of the question. Yeah. Is there meaning or not? Right. And what you see in The Lord of the Rings, actually, what enables the characters to continue choosing what they started out to do is that there is a deep meaning. Right. There is an overarching meaning. And it's not discovered. It's not, it's not created, better said, by us. It's given to us. Yeah. And actually, if we go back to the very beginning, to the shadow of the past, which is where Gandalf in the Fellowship of the Ring, tells Frodo what he's learned about this ring, what right, it is, right. that it's the ring of power. It's the one it ring. It is the one, yeah. Forged by Sauron for the domination of the world. Yeah. And Frodo's this, you know, little fat, jolly hobbit <laughs> person with furry feet, right, who likes to eat six meals a day. Although there is a, there's some inner resolve that starts to yeah. make itself apparent. But he's about the unlikeliest hero imaginable. And so there's that moment in there where he says to Gandalf, I wish this hadn't happened in my lifetime. Right. I just wish, why, why do I have to have right. this burden put on me? Look at me, right. fat little Frodo. Why do I have to do this? He said, I wish it hadn't happened in my lifetime. And Gandalf says, so do I, mm-hmm. so do all yeah. who live to see, see such, such times. times. Yeah. But he said, but that's not for us to decide. Yeah. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given yeah. to us. That's an awesome yeah. dialogue. Yeah. And then he says to Frodo, a little bit later, he said, but Bilbo, who discovered the ring originally in The Hobbit, uh, in Gollum's lair, he said, Bilbo was meant to find it. Mm-hmm. And that means that you were also meant to have it. And that may offer some comfort. Yeah. So what kind of story have we fallen into? With a meaning, with a plan, right. with a providence, right. with a divine providence, which is impossible to understand all right. the time, right? Like Isaiah where God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Right. But there is a divine providence. There is a love behind this, moving yeah. this. Yeah, and even I think there's another phrase, uh, and, and maybe in that same moment or a different moment, where it says, there are, Gandalf says, there are other forces at work yes. than right. the forces of evil. Right. You know, um, which, which, is, which is so true. And on, on, the, on a literary side is ingenious, you know, that... Tolkien doesn't overtly make this a Christian or God or a Catholic work, but it is very Christian and very Catholic just because of, and he himself said it, it is because I'm Christian and I'm Catholic. And this is the, it's a, it's a story, the true story. Um, but that, I mean, that just that phrase too, there are other forces at work, mm. right? Just to it gives hope, you know, it gives meaning and hope to, to the characters in the, in the, in the book, like you said, but also to us. Right. And when we when we see yeah. the world around us and situations and yeah, maybe problems and they say, well, there, there are other forces at work 
besides the forces of evil, you know, meaning the force of good, God's problem. Right. Because it goes back to what we talked about a couple of podcasts ago about the two narratives, how there are really only two narratives, right. right? There's God's narrative, which is the true narrative, and then there's Satan's narrative, which is a warping of God's narrative. It's an attempt to constantly undermine God's narrative. And Satan's narrative is precisely the opposite of that. It's there is no hope. Yeah. The forces of evil are all powerful. Right. Because, I mean, you know, Satan, he's a little despot, really. That's what he is. And he, he wants to be worshipped as God. So one of the ways that he tries to do that actually is through fear. It's interesting. Right. That's another way, actually, of giving Satan more power than he has is by thinking, believing that evil has the last word. Yeah. And obviously, most of us don't do that explicitly, but implicitly, the temptation's always there. Right. Because we're being bombarded with evil. We're being bombarded with bad news, so right, to speak, right. constantly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Aragorn's name, so his elvish name was Estelle, which means hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's so right. That's, kind that's of awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he really is a, a character that develops into the symbol of hope, right? I think at the beginning, you know, his name, he's Strider, he's right. a ranger, he's hidden in Bree, he's covered up, you know. Yeah, that's right. He's got the hood over his face. The hood. Yeah. He's in the corner. He's watching everything, but he's not drawing attention to himself, right? Um, and then I love the scene and this, this um, I, I'm, I'm talking here about the movies just because of the visual effect that it had on me. But when uh, after the Battle of Minas Tirith and they're, they they're contemplating what to do. And uh, um, in the movie, Gimli's in the throne, sitting in the throne, and they're all standing there, and and it's Gandalf that is kind of doubting, right? Gandalf's like, I I can't see clearly. I don't know if he's alive. I've lost I've lost sight of Frodo. You know, I don't know. And and it's kind of like, well, you know, what do we do? And it's Aragorn that says we need to create a diversion. Like we need to attack to give Frodo a chance. So it's, he's the one that hopes that Frodo is still alive. He's the one that hopes that if we do this, we can, you know, we can still possibly prevail, you know, and cause it had been, it had been Gandalf the whole way mm. for most of the time until Gandalf in um, Moria, right. Falls. And the, but then when he comes back, it's still him leading the charge with with the different characters. And in that moment, now that now that Aragorn has the sword, right now he's the true heir. He has the sword. He's in Minas Tirith, and he's the one that says, "Let's let's do this." Yeah, actually, if I could go off on a wild tangent here, please. You yeah. know, thinking about Gandalf always reminds me actually of a good spiritual director in that sense. Because, you know, as a good spiritual director, what is it that we're, we're really seeking? Well, we're seeking growth in the directee's relationship with God, yeah. which also means growing maturity, responsibility, and ability to hear and follow the voice of God. Yeah. And it's interesting how Gandalf does that with Aragorn. Yeah. How right early on, it is very much more of kind of a, a mentor, mentee in a certain right. sense with Gandalf and Aragorn. But Gandalf... And this happens in the books too, actually, how he does step back mm -hmm. and he, he begins to, to give more and more and more responsibility to Aragorn throughout the story. And so by the end of the return of the king, 
Aragorn is asking Gandalf, you know, okay, now we've won. What should I do? And Gandalf basically says, you know, you're you're yeah. ready. This is this yeah. is you now. This is your time. Yeah. Now, and actually, the same thing happens with the Hobbits, right? As well, when they go back to the Shire, which doesn't appear unfortunately in the right. movie. The movie would have been twelve hours long. Yeah. <laughs> right. The whole. But the scouring of the Shire, right. where they have to go back and clean up their homeland. Yeah, by Sauron. Right, yeah. and the same thing. They want Gandalf to go with them. Right. And Gandalf says, you know, there are some serious problems in your your Shire. And Frodo and the others say, well, how can we do this? And Gandalf says, you've, you've grown. Right. You've grown. You're ready for this. Yeah. This is your time now. Right. And he doesn't go with them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He the four of them go back. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting there. I mean, just kind of a cool thing that you have a captain of Gondor and a captain of Rohan in Merry and Pippin. Right. And right. They're, they're able to go back. And then yeah. from what they learned as being part of those, you know, warriors, uh, they're able to then fix save the shire and well okay so saving the shire it's a really cool conversation um when mary and pippin are with the ents that whole part like the whole concept of trying to okay i see there's a ton of problems in the world and it's really bad i'm gonna barricade myself and i'm just gonna i'm gonna try to hide you know and that's ultimately what the ents now granted the ents have suffered a ton they've been just totally uh, you know, brutally ostracized or whatever, or killed and put out, and so they're they're trying to preserve themselves. Right, it's a surviving mode, but they're like, this is remember, this is not our war. Was the was the phrase right? Yeah, Treebeard's always yeah, saying that. and and I think it's um, it's uh, Mary, right, that says, you know, but you live in this world, right? Meaning you you can't just you can't just walk away from this you're in this world you can't avoid this we're all in this this war this battle you know and then and then uh pippin says well let's just go back to the shire you know and then mary's like but there will be no shire the fires of isengard are going to spread and there will be no shire and i think that's just it's an awesome dialogue or conversation about how you know we all are in this world and it's our world and, and the decisions that we make can help or not uh, the growth of, of our families or the, the growth of the people around us or our, our environment, um, especially in, in the area of the faith and, and the kingdom. Um, though we, we are part of this, you know, regardless of whether we feel big or small, you know, either an ant or a hobbit, we're a part of this, this world. Right. And what you see in The Lord of the Rings, and this is something that Tolkien underscores again and again, subtly and brilliantly, is that it's the weak who confound the strong, yeah. we could say. Just like St. Paul talks about in Corinthians, First Corinthians, the first few chapters, and then Second Corinthians, we hold this uh, treasure in vessels of clay so that it's clear that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. Yeah. But it is the it's the weak ones who right. actually confound the strong. So it's the hobbits. Again, these exactly. kind of in the beginning, these fat, beer drinking, fun loving little people <laughs> who are thrust <laughs> into yeah. this. They're, they're thrown into this situation that they didn't choose, yeah. that they don't want. And yet their decisions, apparently little decisions, end up having eternal consequences. There's that line too, actually, uh, apropos of, um, of Treebeard. And Fangorn there, where Tolkien talks about how the arrival of Merry and Pippin, it was like the f 
the falling of a tiny stone mm. that started an avalanche. Yeah. So the stone was, was really small. It was yeah. Mary and Pippin, right? Right. But yet they were where they were supposed to be. Yeah. And they did what they were supposed to do. They made the choice that right. they were asked to make. And that was enough to serve as a catalyst then yeah. to actually get Treebeard and the Ents right. to destroy this great evil right. in Isengard. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just this tiny stone that starts the avalanche. Yeah, and overcome their fear, right? right. Like, like you were talking about before. Yeah, and I think exactly to that, doesn't uh, Galadriel talking to Frodo, she says, even the smallest of creatures can change the course of history, right? Speaking exactly to what to what you're saying, Tolkien again and again yeah. is encouraging um, us or seeing that it, and that's the way God's work, right? I mean, look yeah. at all the characters right. in the Old Testament, yeah. especially, or even the New Testament with the Blessed Mother. I mean, she was just a simple yeah. girl, you know, um, that God, then God's power is able to shine through, through humble vessels. Yeah. Actually, along those lines, in uh, Introduction to Christianity, Cardinal Ratzinger, back then, Father Ratzinger, he has this fascinating insight. He said that if you look at at the planet Earth, he said, what is Earth in the cosmos? It's nothing. It's a speck. It's this tiny, tiny planet. You know, compared to even the other planets in our solar system, it's pretty much a non-entity. And then he said, you, you keep drilling down. This is the place where God chose to reveal himself, Emmanuel, right. here on this planet. And then he said he'd keep going to Israel. Ancient Israel, what was ancient Israel among the great nations of the earth compared right. to Egypt, to Assyria, to the Hittites, right. to the Babylonians, to the Persians? It's nothing. It's just this this tiny insignificant speck. Then what's Nazareth? Right. Nazareth yeah. was this backwater within a backwater. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing. And then Mary, right, just humble apparently yeah. a non-entity and yet she receives this the, the presence of the lord through the incarnation in her womb and then the cross yeah what's the jesus on the cross i mean apparent total failure right and and nothingness and a crushed defeated human being apparently and yet that's the redemption of, yeah. of the entire cosmos <laughs> and then the church yeah i mean What's the church, right? It's always in crisis. Yeah. It's the Last Supper, right? And it's just so much weakness and, and sin. And yet this is the place of God's revelation. And then the Eucharist, yeah. the tiny host, yeah. which contains all the fullness of divinity. Right. And like the simplest it. of foods, right? Simple, right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a that's a great reflection or example of, of how God works and how he's worked and continues to work for us moving forward. I think just looking at our own selves, you know, who we're definitely not, you know, uh, we try to be humble and try to be simple so that God can, can work through us. Well, Father John, uh, time has flown by. I think that just uh, indicates we got to keep Keep doing more podcasts on Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think that's an accurate interpretation. Yeah. So thank you for your time today. I, uh, this has you. been super enjoyable, just reflecting on our, our mutual love for Lord of the Rings. And I look forward to talking about this trilogy again soon. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.